Most career experts say that as many as 80% of jobs are just never advertised. And in the recession that we are already in or are likely to face soon, it will be more important than ever to know exactly how to access this hidden job market. You've probably heard of networking, but I bet you're not aware of the ins and outs of job search networking. I have a love-hate relationship with it. I certainly don't love doing it, but I do love the results. So if there's just one change you make to your campaign to win your next job, deciding to embark upon a skillful job search networking campaign is almost certainly going to be your most valuable change. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. This is season one, where we're looking at how to survive and even thrive in your career during the coronavirus pandemic. In today's episode, which is number three in our coronavirus series, we're taking up where we left off last episode, which covered how to start your job search networking campaign. What we'll do today is give a brief recap of the last session, then I want to look at why should you even bother with job search networking, and also how to feel okay about asking for help. Then we're going to go straight to how do you get the meeting with the stranger, followed by what do you say in the meeting with the stranger, and finishing up with next steps. Okay, when it comes to last session, I'm not going to cover everything that we did. I think the basic message from last session is that job search networking is a very strict process. And unless you're a a rare individual who happens to be a natural at it, I recommend you just follow the rules precisely. We looked at primary contacts and I suggest that you don't take them for granted. You prepare your script just as carefully with your primary contacts as you're going to do with your secondary contacts. And don't forget, your primary contacts are not going to be really aware of job search networking, so they're likely to make mistakes. The classic one being that they give you the name of a recruiter or that they say that they'll talk to their friends and see if their friends need somebody like you. And the final thing I suggested when it came to primary contacts was to do six or so meetings with primary contacts first before you went near the strangers. You will make mistakes and your primary contacts are likely to forgive you for those mistakes. They're not likely to look sideways at you and wondering what you're doing. So why bother with job search networking? You might be thinking, what's the point? So what I want to do is give you three quick war stories about how wonderful job search networking is. And the first one is actually one of my war stories. When I was looking for work as a career specialist, I remembered that my ex-next-door neighbour was a chartered accountant at one of our large wine companies here in Adelaide. Now, I didn't think, what's the point of seeing Keith? He's a chartered accountant he's not going to be a decision maker for me. My decision makers are HR people. I didn't shut it down. I rang Keith. Hi, Keith, Catherine here. Here's what I'm doing now. Can I come out to see you for 20 minutes and talk to you about what I'm doing? And I went out to Keith's place of business. Keith referred me internally to the higher level of seniority and across to my field. So he referred me to the director of HR. And internal referrals, by the way, are some of the most powerful referrals you could ever have. And Bernie, who was the director of HR, said to me at a later date, whoever's good enough for Keith's good enough for me. And lo and behold, I have been doing work for that wine company for 20 years. They're one of my favorite clients. They treat their staff really well. They treat me really well. And if I had shut down that meeting, I don't even know if I'd still be in business. All right, a second war story, slightly different. 
this was before I was a career specialist. I was doing some consulting and I was having, I had coffee with a director from one of the big four chartered accounting firms. Let's just say it was Ernst & Young. She mentioned that she needed consultants. And I said to her, why don't you just put an ad in the paper? And she said, we're an employer of choice. If we put an ad in the paper, we'll get a couple of hundred applicants and I really don't want that. I went home and I thought of one of my friends, um, Sharon. And as far as I knew, Sharon was totally happy in her place of work, but I just thought Sharon would be a very good consultant. Turns out she was actually sick of her place of work. I introduced her to the director of Ernst & Young and she started as a consultant. And some weeks later, she told me that the HR department rang her up and said, Sharon, uh, do you mind sending us your resume? We really are supposed to have one on file. So she had got her wonderful new job without a resume. My final war story relates to a participant I was working with who was in a dire situation. He worked for one of these major wine companies in Adelaide and his role had been made redundant. It was at the time when there'd been a reverse takeover of one of the other large wine companies and they had already made many, many, many of their staff redundant. So effectively, there were only two large wine companies left in Adelaide and if he didn't pick up a job there... He was basically going to have to move into state because the next level down of wine companies in Adelaide were really too small for someone of his level of seniority. Let's call him Gino. Interestingly, Gino had been what I'd call a, a head down, bum up sort of person throughout his entire working life. And I have never met anybody since who had as few contacts as he did. Gino was very reluctant to do networking. And for month after month, he tried the visible job market. He applied for a role with one of our recruitment companies and missed out. Meanwhile, he had finally started networking and he had a primary contact in the same company that he had missed out on the role just previously. He set up a networking meeting with that primary contact who referred him through to a secondary contact within that organisation. Lo and behold, and this is pretty amazing, about a month later, two weeks later, another job appeared in the paper in that organisation. Again, that same recruiter refused to put my participant forward as a candidate, but my client, my participant, had gone behind the scenes, picked up the job without ever needing to contact the recruiter. And it is a wonderful way of getting a good job, particularly in a difficult situation. The other thing I said I'd mentioned before I actually get started on the technique is to talk through this issue of possibly feeling bad about asking help from friends or then from strangers. Now, when I rang my ex next door neighbor, I felt bad. I hadn't seen him for a couple of years and I did feel as if I was using him. But what I've learned over the years is you can't go through life with a pair of scales in your arms, always making sure that you exactly do a favor back to the same degree to somebody who's done you a favor. And as long as you pass it forward, as long as you do a favour to somebody else, then I think it's an issue of swings and roundabouts. When I talk about that to people, it makes them feel better about this whole process. All right, so you've had your meeting with your primary contacts and they've given you some names of secondary contacts. Your first issue is getting the meeting with these secondary contacts. Again, there are lots of issues here. I struggle with the decision about when to call the person my contacts, my decision makers are very senior people and I've learned not to bother ringing anybody in the morning. My contacts are in meetings all morning. So typically I will ring between 3 and 5 p.m. because most of us are back at our desks at that time of day. So you have to think about where your secondary contact works and when would be the best time to call him or her. Another vexed issue is whether to call a mobile or a landline. 
I find that there's a 1 in 10 statistic of when somebody is actually going to be there when I call them. So if you ring somebody's mobile and if you think it's going to take you 10 calls on a mobile before they're actually there, you can start to see that it starts to become a problem and you almost look like you're stalking somebody. So wherever possible, if I can, I ring a landline and I never leave a message. They will not call you back. You need to accept that it is your responsibility you're the one who wants the meeting. You're the one who has to keep ringing that person until you get hold of them. And as I said, the mobile is a vexed issue. And unfortunately, these days, you're finding more and more people don't even have a landline. If I do ring a mobile, I usually don't leave a message and most people don't respond. So let's say you have rung a landline and there's a gatekeeper there who tries to keep you out. You'll find that the gatekeeper will ask one of three questions. And the most common question the gatekeeper will ask is, can I ask what it's in regard to? Here, your best bet is to make sure you mention the name of the mutual acquaintance. So you would say something like, yes, Sue Smith suggested I call Roger. That way, it appears as if it's a private matter and you'll typically find the gatekeeper will put you straight through to the boss. If they're not there, Again, don't leave a message. I've learned a little phrase. I'm going to be in and out of the office myself quite a bit today. It might be easier for Roger if I called him back. When would you recommend I call him? Because again, if Roger's a busy person, he comes back to his desk and there's 20 phone messages on his desk, he will not ring you because you are a stranger and you can easily be bypassed. When you get through to the stranger, the script is, is very easy, but again, it's very prescriptive. And there are four precise elements to the script and you need to do them in the correct order. The first thing you say, obviously, you say your name. Hello, my name is Catherine Cunningham. That's not part of the script. The first thing you say is the name of the mutual acquaintance. John suggested I give you a call. The second part of the phone call is you have to tell your secondary contact why you're ringing, otherwise they're going to think you're selling them something that they don't want. So the briefest possible phrase, I'm a career consultant who specializes in working with executives in the defense industry. The third element is where you become very clever or it becomes very clever. The third element, frankly, is a guilt trip. You bring back in the name of the mutual acquaintance. Roger thought you might be prepared to give me 20 minutes of your time to give me your advice on how to break into that market. You never, ever ask anybody for a job in job search networking. It is always advice. And the fourth part of the phone call is to ask a question that will evoke the answer you want. Now, what I mean by that is you don't say, would you be free sometime next week? Because we're all free. It's a non-question and it allows the person to shut you down and say, no, look, I'm really, really busy. Just send me your resume. So you would ask something like, would you be free Tuesday morning or Thursday morning or perhaps does an afternoon suit you better? That way, it usually evokes the response, which is that we're trained to answer proper questions. They instinctively look at their diary and give you a date, even if they had not wanted to. And then you get off the phone. 
So many years ago, I was working with a, a guy called um, John. And John was making the phone call to the strangers, but he wasn't managing to get any meetings. And when I debriefed what he was doing, it turned out he was having a long conversation with the secondary contact on the phone. And so then, quite rightly, the secondary contact would say, well, there's no point in me meeting you. I've given you all my advice. So some scripts that you will see are very strict. They'll say 23 seconds or another sample will say 25 seconds. And the message is say those four pieces of information and then get off the phone. Your secondary contact is going to make one of three objections very commonly. It's important to bat back against those objections. And I can give you some stories later as to when I've done that. Most common objection they'll say is, are you looking for a job? Because we're not hiring at the moment. And if you answer simply by saying, yes, I'm looking for a job, they'll say, well, there's no point us meeting. Here, a very useful word is the word valuable. And I'll explain why in a minute. But here's, here's what you would say. Yes, I am looking for a job, but Morrow thought it would be very valuable for me to meet with you because of blah, blah, blah. And you have to have a reason, obviously, because of, because you've done the same thing recently or because you have such a, a high level of knowledge of what's happening in the industry. Now, the word valuable does two things. It makes it very clear to the person at the other end how important this issue is to you. And it subtly flatters them that somebody should think that their 20 minutes is so valuable. So you bring in the word valuable. This is your big gun. You bring it in at the end. The second thing they'll say is just send me your resume and I'll circulate it amongst people I know. And a good thing to say there is I like to craft my resume according to the positions I'm specifically applying for, but I'd be happy for you to take a look at it and give me your thoughts on, on my resume. And really all you're doing is you're just sending a message back. Come on, I want to meet with you. And then the third objection they usually make is, I'll put you through to HR. Now, for me, HR is my buyer, but for almost everybody else, HR is not your buyer. You do not want to go near HR. They only get involved when a position is about to become visible. You pick up your job in job search networking because the manager vaguely knows they've got permission for this position to happen. They just haven't got around to doing it. They meet you, they like you, you get the job and HR get told about it later. So you would come back to why it would be valuable for you to see them. I'm not looking for a specific role. It probably not a good idea for me to talk to HR. John mentioned it would be very valuable. Now, the word valuable only gets used once because here your response is going to vary according to the culture that you live in. In Australia, you've asked to see somebody, they say no, and you fight back once. And for most Australians, that's as far as it goes. You will get some American textbooks that will suggest that even if they again say no, that you should fight back one more time. It's going to be a matter for you to decide how pushy you want to be. And if you're going to be that pushy, you're going to have to do it with great skill. So that finally, you need some props before the meeting with the stranger. And your two props are your business card and a one-page resume printed on a laser printer using high-quality paper. So you cut your full resume down to an attractive document that succinctly sells you to the reader. Mm -hmm. 
now that you've arranged the meeting, I want to talk to you about how to conduct the meeting with the secondary contact. It's very similar in structure to the meeting with the primary contact. But let's start out at reception. They'll usually come out at reception and meet you and they'll usually take you back to their office. And it's your responsibility as you walk through the various parts of their business to keep the conversation going, to do the chit chat. That's your job. The agenda that you set with your secondary contact has one element that is different. It's a new element that you don't do with the primary contact. And you would be a little bit more formal. So there's still the breaking of the ice. And then you would say something like, thank you so much for meeting me. I'm, I'm conscious that I said I'd only be 20 minutes. If I can, I'd like to cover three areas today. The first area is a prompt for them to talk. And so I can't give you one precise script because it's going to vary according to them. So you might say, I'd love to hear about the move that you made from HR to accounting. Or you might say, I'd love to hear about what the industry board is saying. I notice you're on the industry board. Whatever it is, it's going to vary according to the person you're seeing. And the purpose of this part of the meeting is to give them an opportunity to talk, to give them their time in the sun. Secondly, you would say, I'd like to give some background about myself, what it, what I think it is I have to offer the marketplace, where it is I think I'm, I'm heading. And then thirdly, to ask your advice on my networking strategy, on my marketing strategy, and to perhaps see if there's other people that you think it would be worth me talking to. So again, as with the primary contacts, they know right at the beginning that you're going to be asking them for names. Once the meeting has finished, you have some next steps and a really important next step, the Americans call it closing the loop, is to send a thank you message, not to send it via email. Two reasons. It's a bit of an insult. They're busy people. They've given you half an hour, 20 minutes of their time. If you think that you sending a 30-second email appropriately reflects the favour they've done to you, it just doesn't. It's, it's a bit rude. But the second reason is what do we all do with our emails when we come back into the office after a meeting? We delete, 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 delete. So they'll glance at your email. Oh, that's nice. And it's gone. How many of us get snail mail these days? If you can, you send a card and you're going to have to make a judgment call whether it's appropriate for you to send a card or send a handwritten note. But cards are best. You send a card or a handwritten note with three short paragraphs. The first paragraph just a quick note to thank you for catching up the other day. The second paragraph is where you refer specifically to something that happened in the meeting to make your note more meaningful. So it might be something like, I was particularly struck by your take on blah, 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 blah. Third paragraph, once again, thank you. And as I promised, I'll keep you posted as to what happens. The beauty of a card is it will stay on their desk. I've gone to visits a year later and still found people with my Christmas card on their desk. The card is there, it reminds them that they've had that momentary good impression of you in the meeting, then they forget you. Lo and behold, two or three days later, a nice card appears or a nice handwritten note appears and you're back in their memory again. Final thing I want to talk to you about is to have faith that it actually does work and to have the emotional energy to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. If you think back to my story in, in the last episode, it does work. In today's session, we've talked about how to conduct a meeting with a secondary contact in quite a lot of detail. 
To summarise my thoughts about job search networking, as I said, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I have huge call reluctance. I cannot tell you how hard it is for me to make that phone call. But I tell you, if you think job search networking is difficult, you should try doing cold calls. And this is a case of that wonderful phrase, gird your loins. And the image I always remember is Australia in the 1930s and the Depression, the Great Depression, where you saw men pick up their swags and walk. They just walked and walked until they found work. They had the discipline to do what they didn't want to do. If you have that discipline, it's a huge advantage for three reasons. Nobody knows about job search networking. I never meet anybody who knows about job search networking. Secondly, even if they know about it, very few of them know how to do it and know how to avoid those technical errors. And then finally, if they know about it and they know how to avoid the technical errors, almost nobody's brave enough to actually do it. So if you are, you have a massive advantage. So good luck and my very sincere best wishes in this most difficult time. I'd love to hear how you go with your job search networking. Now, this is only my third podcast and I still don't have any reviews anywhere and I don't have many subscribers. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share this podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'm doing a regular fortnightly podcast and the next episode, I'm going to focus on how to master a Zoom job interview and there's going to be seven specific tips to help you out. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. There you'll be able to find a full article on the topic or an infographic or a video and that will summarise the different elements that we've talked about and it will give links to tools and resources. I'll repeat that website, careerconsult.com.au. Finally, I do a fortnightly mail out of my content, videos, blogs, infographics. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website. I'd like to finish with my hashtag, I just love it. Hashtag, why not be happy at work? <laughs>